This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.73 RRR. It's time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. And my name's Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Beach. Good morning, Dr Burton. How are you today? I'm very well. Very pleased to hear it. This cold, slightly damp... Melbourne wintry uh, morning. Yeah, lovely, typical Melbourne yep. Sunday winter morning. Oh, I love it too. Yeah, it's a bit hard to get out from under that doona. <laughs> we, but we do, we do that every Sunday, and and, and do. Tim does it even earlier. He does. So before we go any further, thank you to Tim. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for soulful bits. Oh, well, yes. Yeah. Let's launch straight in. Uh, marine science. That's what we do on Radio Marinara, and we have lots of it coming up today. We do. We also do marine conservation and protection, and we're kind of at that... Um, we're in a really nice space this morning where we've got marine science meeting marine protection. A beautiful thing. In a couple of ways. So we're firstly going to be speaking with Dr Jackie Pocklington. It's three doctors walked into a bar this morning here on Radio Marinara. Dr Ch- Jackie Pocklington first. <laughs> I'll explain what that means in a minute. Yeah, we're, we're waiting for the punchline. <laughs> well, all our, all our guests are marine scientists. So, yeah, anyway. Uh, Three doctors phone. walked into a sandbar. Does that make more sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a okay. lot of sense. Um, Jackie is, uh, she's at Parks Victoria and she's been part of a group that has put together a field guide to the marine creatures, plants and animals that live in the Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park. So we're going to be speaking with Jackie on behalf of the whole group about this field guide. I look very much. I look very, I'm, I'm very <laughs> much looking forward to seeing this and, and to, to talking to Jackie. Yeah, it'll be. It, it's a wonderful little tool for us all. Yes. Uh, sorry, I've got lots of questions for Jackie. Really looking forward to finding out more about that. We'll um, cross to Terry Allen for a dive report. She is going diving this morning, she said. So that'll be good. We are then going to speak with uh, Dr. Dustin Marshall from Monash University. He's going to be in talking to us about some new research about uh, marine protected areas and their importance and the fact that this has most likely been underestimated. Well, the fact that big fish are really good at making lots of babies um, in comparison comparison to smaller fish. That's right. And I like one line which kind of summed it up. Like, so two one kilograms, two one kilo fish don't make as many eggs as a two kilo fish. Yeah. And so the impact that that then has... in the context of marine protection, is is uh, it's, little... been, it's been an underestimate of yes. how good MPAs are at replenishing the outside the environments just outside of MPAs. That's right. So really, uh, really cool research and um, very important paper, which has gone into the Ecological Society of America journal Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment. So big deal paper too. Uh, it sure is coming on the back of um, what paper that group had in Science not so long ago. Mm. So they're doing wonderful work and it's really, it's lovely to have Dustin here live in the studio with us. I'm very excited about that too. Mm. Also very excited to be speaking with Dr. Robin Wilson, who is our third marine science doctor coming in this morning. Out there in the green room having a chat with Dustin at the moment. And do you realise how appropriate this is because it's National Science Week coming up. The and, fact and, that and all these people getting together, having a yak. <laughs> Beautiful. Marine science bringing the world together, Dr Beach. Yeah. Museums Victoria, they're gearing up for a very exciting week of exploration and discovery. So we'll speak with Robin. He is the Senior Curator of Marine Invertebrates at Marine Museum Victoria. He's going to talk to us about uh, National Science Week coming up. And also there's a morning seminar coming up called Living Wonders at which he will be presenting and some great activities in the week coming up. That reminds me, um, I wasn't on the 1,000th show last week. I, I was tucked up under the doona, but a very nice show, Bron and Anthony and the others that were on. And 
Last week you talked to, you, you played, the, I think it was one of the first interviews on Radio Marinara with um, Dr Mark Norman, who was at Museums Victoria, just reminded me, and, and large invertebrates, he was talking about that huge squid in a very amusing way. I'd forgotten you know, how funny Norm is, God. <laughs> it was a good and show still to look is. back. That's right. Yeah, it was a lovely, lovely listen, a lovely retro listen. Uh, I think maybe it would be useful to find out what the weather has been forecast to do for us today, Dr Beach. I can do that. It's going to be 14 degrees, patchy morning fog, cloudy, slight chance of a shower, light winds, 14 degrees was a minimum of 10, so not too bad, maybe a little bit of a shower. Tomorrow's going to be 16 degrees, followed by 16, 16, 15. You know what it's like, Bron. Uh, mid-teens all week, not too much. Well, actually, Wednesday, Thursday might be up to five mils of rain. Or Friday, looking ahead, is going to be up to 10 mils of rain. So that would be very nice to get some more rain. If you are heading out on the water, you want to know what the tides are doing at Point Lonsdale, it was a low tide at 7.26am this morning. And if you're really interested in details, it was a 0.28 metre low tide. It can be high tide at around 2.30 this afternoon at 1.74 metres. That is at the heads. Cool. Um, should I bother reading out swell now? Yeah. Okay, moderate swells and westerly tend... Moderate swells and westerly tending northwesterly winds and creating fun waves. There you go, fun waves, Bron. Across the Torquay coast this morning. Only talking about Torquay. Water temperature is 13 degrees. That sounds consistent. Yeah. With what I'm hearing, 13. We'll get a dive report from Terry Allen in about 15 minutes' time. A couple of quick plugs and then we're going to play some music. Uh, there has been uh, some very exciting news coming from the Deakin Seaweed Research Group. So Dr Alicia Belgrove, who's been on our program several times, is doing some wonderful work into seaweed solutions for sustainable aquaculture, which we know exists elsewhere on this planet but there's yet to be a real market established and therefore industry and therefore research but the research is starting to come through um, locally. So there's a, a really exciting group, the Deakin Seaweed team at Deakin University but supported by uh, some people from down in Hobart as well, Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies, University of Tasmania are planning on developing a sustainable integrated multi-trophic aquaculture model to support commercial seaweed production here in Australia. That sounds like a wonderful mouthful. <laughs> it's going to be some great stuff. Anyway, where this is uh, interesting, if you're out there and you are a marine scientist or a budding marine scientist, um, there are positions available for postdoc. Um, there are three PhDs on offer, um, a technical offer position and a research assistant. So, bit, bit of cash injection there to Alicia's group. That's great. That's it. And in, in basically an entire research lab, which is um, getting going. Four PhD scholarships, I beg your pardon, not three. So, and where's that located? Where are those positions uh, located? It's going to be a combination of um, uh, at IMAS in Hobart, um, but also, at, so the PhD scholarships at IMAS in Hobart, uh, the technical officer is IMAS in Hobart as well. I think they're mostly Hobart based. Okay. There you go. We'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. And um, if you want uh, us to connect you with Alicia, we can do that as well. Or you could uh, Google search Dr. Alicia Belgrove. Yeah. Uh, at or at Deakin Seaweed Research Group. Uh, another quick plug which I wanted to um, put forward from, thank you Mark Rodrigue from Parks Victoria as well. Uh, they're looking at the Youth Advisory Council for World Oceans Day, which of course we've already had, it's always on the 8th of June, but uh, they're looking for nominations for the Youth Advisory Council. So this is a global council and uh, already looking for um, new people to be on the Youth Advisory Council. Applications are due by the 11th of August. How does one define youth? 
Uh, I think it's 18 to 25. Okay. I did read through this yesterday. Uh, no, 16 to 22. So council members are 16 to 22, uh, represent a broad and diverse you'll, network. You'll, you'll still make it into that category, <laughs> won't you, Brock? <laughs> Maybe in my dreams. Um, a, young, a broad and diverse network of 25 young leaders, a maximum of two members per country are accepted. Um, council members serve for two consecutive World Oceans Days, so you'd be looking at 2020 and 2021. And council members are placed in one of five teams based on their location throughout their two-year term. And upon completion of their term on council, members are encouraged to become World Oceans Day ambassadors through the Council Alumni Network. So really exciting stuff. Um, thanks, Mark, for sending that through, and we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. That's right. So if you are a, a, a youth keenly interested in marine science and the oceans, and you probably listen to the show if you are, then um, get into that. Oh, yes. Radiothon coming soon. You excited, Dr Beach? I'm, I'm, I'm beside myself with excitement. <laughs> it's a fun theme. It is. Very fun theme. Uh, we're, we're just talking about fish names. It's going to be... Giving away fish names is what we do on Radiothon to encourage you to subscribe. Yes. Um, And it's a difficult theme for us this year. Because we try and have a unique fish name for every subscriber, which we will still do. But we, um, in terms of pairing the theme of the Radiothon to the fish name, when you're looking at retro arcade games. Galaga Galaxia we've come up with so far. (laughs) That's about it. (laughs) We've got to find a couple of hundred more. Well, that's that's our, you know, we're hoping that we'll have um, that many subscribers coming through to Radio Marinara. But anyway. <laughs> we're getting there to a couple of hey, thousand Hey, if you think more. of a name, you can also, you can always... Um, Suggest your own. Yes. And if you think of a name, put it through on our Facebook page and we'll make note of it. And it doesn't have to be a fish. It could be a seaweed. It could be a phytoplankton. It could yeah. be a snail. It could be a nudibranch. And later on, by the way, I've just been told by um, Robin Wilson from the museum out there that he's going to give away a nudibranch book later on. Ooh, really? Yeah. Okay. Don't ring now, please. No, don't ring We're now. We're not quite no, ready. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> That's excellent. 9.18, uh, without further ado, we wanting to turn our attentions to this wonderful new field guide um, to Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park. And so it's really, look, if you've ever wandered along a beach and seen a sea creature and maybe gone for a snorkel and wondered what on earth is that, well, this field guide might be able to answer that question for you. There's this brand new field guide to marine life in Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park, supported by Parks Victoria, the Port Phillip Bay Fund and Coast Care Victoria. So we now have online... Dr. Jackie Pocklington from Parks Victoria to tell us all about it. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Bron. How are you going? Well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. It's lovely to connect with you. We haven't spoken to you for a while. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, look, first up, congratulations. It's a great guide. Um, I've seen a few little snippets, um, not seen the whole thing, but the few photos that I've seen of it and, um, and some of the descriptive text is wonderful. It's been a collaborative exercise, as I mentioned. Can you talk us through it? How did it come to be? Yeah, so I wasn't actually around for the inception, but it's um, it was a Don Love from Friends of Bulware Reef group. He's actually um, the group had actually made one for Bulware Reef years ago, and um, he does a lot of diving in Port Phillip Heads. And I think when the Port Phillip Bay Fund uh, fund <laughs> Port Phillip Bay Fund fund came about, um, he thought it would be a great idea to put one in and, and to start making one for Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park. So. That's kind of how it came about. There's been so many different staff involved in it, so um, he's had to put up with a, with a big bunch of us. 
Jack is Dr. Beach here. A fa- fantastic. Oh, hi, how are you going? I'm very excited to, to see the guide. Um, is, that, is it a small one? Um, uh, the, 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 well, the guide, the guide that I think it might, well, it's not going to replace, mm-hmm. it's going to supplement, but Life on the Rocky Shores was little one, Prescott and Quinn and yeah. other people. That's been around for ages and is, yeah. I don't know, the world's been gagging for an update. So is that what this is? <laughs> Uh, not exactly. So this one's definitely focused on the under-the-water stuff. So yep. you might be lucky to find a few of these things in a rock pool or washed up on a beach. But it's supposed to be basically the snorkelers and divers that are getting into the water. So next on the list that Don's now working on is a diving and snorkeling guide to the area. So Port Phillip Heads Marine National Parks and, you know, hot spots and what they're like and that sort of stuff. So he's sort of it's sort of a two parter. The ID part came first and then the where you should go and maybe find these things is coming second. Um, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Portfield Heads Marine mm-hmm. National Park, Jackie, can you describe it for us? What area does it cover? Sure. So it's actually it's even though it's one park, it's kind of a funny one in that um, it's more like six parks in one. So there's when it got um, declared back in two thousand and two it was uh, this section sort of around um, point, there's part at Point Nepean, there's a part at Point Lonsdale, Swan Bay is included, uh, Pope's Eye, Portsea Hole and also Mud Islands. So they're all the different parts to Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park. So if you if you have a look at the booklet or any of our stuff, you can see lots of lovely blue squares or shapes going around the coast, which um, which, which shows you where the park is. And what kind of what kind of um, plants and animals live there? We're, we're kind of talking about several different habitats sort of within that area, aren't we? Because I'm sort of thinking about yep. all these different places as you're mentioning them, and some of them yeah. uh, are quite deep, and then you have others like Pope's Eye, which are sort of reasonably um, reasonably shallow, and then you have Mud Island, which yep. is really quite sandy. So we've got yep. lots of different habitats, don't we? We do. So yes, yeah, Swan Bay and Mud Islands, particularly a lot more seagrass um, covered and soft sediment areas but the other ones are all pretty much got lots of reef in them so the book is tend to be more on on reef animals and plants that you probably find there but there's things like sea grasses in there and some of the fish and some of the more mobile creatures you probably find in sea grass as well so jackie the book is that lovely colored pictures that one would leaf through or do you go to a certain section for seaweeds if you want that or snails for another one or fish how's it laid out yeah. It's in sections, so the start's got a bit of an intro about about the place, and then it goes into um, into each different um, group, I suppose. So it starts off with the uh, marine plants and seaweeds and seagrasses, and there's a little intro about what they are, and then there's some some examples and how you can identify them with pictures. So we've got that for all sorts of different groups, and there's some marine pests at the back to look out for as well. Excuse me. You got the cold that's doing the rounds. <laughs> so oh, many yeah. people who've got it at the moment. Okay, so we got. Uh, let's just step through it because I think it would be quite yeah. useful for Have people to understand it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we start with seaweeds, and um, there's a description yep. of what they are and where you can find them and how you distinguish different seaweeds from each other because yeah. they they can be quite yeah. hard when you've got a couple in front of you to really know what you're looking at. Yeah. What's after the seaweeds? Then we've got sponges. Then we've got the jellyfish, anemones, corals and hydroids. That's like in one group, the Nidaria. Then we've got the arthropods, so the crayfish, the sea spiders, the crabs and the shrimps. Then we've got the mollusks, so you've got snails, cuttlefish, octopus and nudibranchs, which I heard Robin's giving away a book later, so that's pretty cool. That And that book he's talking about is really awesome. <laughs> I'm quite jealous. <laughs> but you can, you can get a sneak peek in this very free 
book if you if you miss out on the on the fancy book. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Did you say a very free book? Is is it? A, a, a yeah, gift? yeah, it's free. So it's on it's online. We only pr- we didn't you know print out as many for everybody as we like. So most of them have already been distributed to um, to groups that will use them a lot, and a lot of our um, the tour operators that might work so we work in the area. So if you go out and you know see watch. Uh, snorkeling tour or that sort of stuff is a good chance that tour operator has them on board so that they can show you all the different things and help you help you learn things but yeah this is online and anyone can download it and print it off at home and take it with you okay that's awesome all right let's pick up yeah. pick up where we left off so we were talking about yep. mollusks and um yep. and nudibranchs we all get very excited about yep. nudibranchs of course of course yeah <laughs> then there's the briar's owens so they're like lace corals. So people probably are really not so familiar with bryozoans, but there's a few examples of them in there. Um, the echinoderms, so the sea stars and urchins, there's some of those. And then, of course, lucky last, we've got the fish. <laughs> and the ascidians are in with the fish too because they're all part of the chordates. Do we so have... we're trying to keep it a bit science but also a bit, you know... A bit, a bit easy to access as well. Is yeah, it, just as you described that kind of lineage, it was sort of like, you know, the, the animal diversity yeah. going from the sponges all the way through to the fish. It's all quite nice, yeah. isn't it? And um, yeah. is there a section on uh, for um, our charismatic megafauna? No, not as such. Ooh, so, controversial. So if you're wondering Actually, what that yeah, means. You're right. <laughs> no whales. Oh, Dolphins, yeah. seals, whales, yes. I think, I think they were limited by page number and just sort of went, all right, we're going to have to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, now, this guide is has mm-hmm. been designed around the Port Phillip um, Marine National Park, Port Phillip Hes Marine National Park. Yeah. Is it applicable to other areas within Port Phillip Bay um, and maybe yeah. Western Port as well? Yeah, for sure. A lot of the species are found in similar spots. I mean, all the species in here will be found in the park somewhere or other. But, yeah, you can definitely find heaps of these species in lots of different locations around Victoria, particularly yeah, Western Port. You'll get a fair few of them as well. That's great. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, this is free. Anyone can download mm-hmm. it. Uh, where can people yeah. go, Jackie, to get a copy of this um, amazing guide? I just typed in Parks Victoria Port Phillip Heads Identification Guide and it popped up with the PDF link straight away. So Cool. Excellent. We'll put Otherwise a link to that on our Facebook page. We're going to be bombarding yeah. everyone's Facebook feeds <laughs> with Marinara Facebook yeah. stuff this afternoon. But we will put yeah. a link to that on our Facebook page as well. Um, mm-hmm. And thanks so much, Jackie. It's been great hearing about this great guide. And um, congratulations to everyone, uh, to, to Don Love in particular, yeah. for really driving this. Yeah, that was definitely his baby. We're just the support crew. And um, is he planning on any more guides? Because he is obviously but very yeah, good at them. He is, yeah. So the diving snorkeling one is due probably September-ish. So that's his current his current project. So you will just stay tuned after that to see where um, where he might go next. Fantastic. Keep in touch with us because um, that will time in perfectly after um, our big radiothon fiesta is all uh, all finished, Ooh. and um, we can catch up on the next guide. Lovely. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jackie. Thanks, guys. See you, Jackie. One. Speak with you soon. Okay. Cheers. Bye, Bye for now. Dr. Dr. Jackie Pocklington from Parks Victoria about the field guide to Port Phillip Heads Marine National Park. We will put a link to that on our Facebook page. A very exciting thing. Yeah, you can have a copy of it yourself. That's right. 9.28. This is Radio Marinara and time for our weekly dive report with Terry Allen. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Dr. Burton and Beach and and stuff. <laughs> Hi Terry. How are you doing? How are you going? Are you, good, good. Now you're diving today. 
Yes, I'm diving. I'm just, uh, my partner Jeff and I are here and uh, we're just doing a fun dive today, so no teaching. We're just uh, gearing up in the dry suits. Uh, we're just down at Portsea and uh, hopefully getting outside the heads to do a 40 metre wreck out in the graveyard. I've got this beautiful image of you actually being under the water at the moment with air bubbles coming out and talking to us. <laughs> you are active, but you're not actually, you're not in the water diving right now. You're preparing no. to go. I wish I wish we could we should, do that. We, we, should, we need to organise that, like a live cross, a nice submersible cross. Two thousand show. <laughs> yeah. Two thousand. Yeah. That's right. We might try and sneak it in before then. Um, yeah. So we're midwinter at the moment, probably technically starting to get towards the other end of winter. What's diving like at the moment? Because uh, we mentioned, or Dr. Beach mentioned before, with the weather report, water temperature is about thirteen degrees. Can you sort of give a bit of a description of what it's like to go diving at the moment? Yeah, so um, it's, it's around 12, 13 around the heads. It's, um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, so it's, it was 10 degrees up in the northern part of the bay. Um, we tend to see probably, um, probably a few less fish around. And uh, Blue Gowry, um, I haven't done for a little while, but I think there's probably a few less nudibranchs around. So I don't know the seasonality of most of the nudibranchs. Although, having said that, I did see some nice photos of some the other week. So there's obviously some, some species are still happy there in the cold. Um, but absolute mill pond of a day out here, like not a breath of wind. So, you know, glorious and uh, not too many people around. And, um, yeah, we last couple of weeks ago when I spoke to you guys from Portsea and we were heading out to for teaching and um, we were out in the heads and heading outside um, and then we heard a report about possible sighting of whales and uh, there was another boat with us with our charter boat and they, um, they radioed us and I sort of saw a blow, oh wow, how fantastic, thinking oh yeah, southern right whale. Anyway, it turned out to be four humpback whales. Uh, which was just brilliant. And we just stopped the boats and they swam past about oh, 200 metres away and beautiful, big, you know, beautiful dorsal fins and uh, beautiful tail. And, and they were actually heading, they were heading east, but they were sort of heading right towards the head. So I don't know if there were any sightings going into the bay, but, um, oh, mind-blowing, you know, and you can imagine these open water students was just like... Oh, my, 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 my friend Lizzie and I teaching, we were screaming and more excited probably than they were. I, I think they didn't quite appreciate how special it was to see humpback whales in Melbourne. It's such an amazing thing when it happens, isn't it? And I've never experienced anything like that in Melbourne uh, or elsewhere, really, in terms of having that many at once. I certainly mm. have it in Melbourne. I have it in other parts of Australia, yeah. all up north near the reef, but... Wow, that's yeah, that's that's very special. It certainly has been a bumpy year for whale watching so far. Oh yeah, yeah. And, um, we're I only about halfway. One, I think there was one smaller one, and then I could see you know two large ones, and probably another uh, another third. So, but they were you know big. You know you um you just you do forget. I mean, although I've seen whales a few times, especially the humpbacks, they they are monsters. It was yeah, it was very very nice. Fantastic. Hey, thanks, Terry. We're going to keep moving, but um, thanks for okay. the dive report this morning, and we'll see you in studio, I hope, in a couple of weeks' time for Radiothon. Okay. We'll see what we can organise. Okay. Okay, have Enjoy. a great dive. Have a great dive. Bye. Okay, see you, Terry. bye for now. Terry getting out there, diving. Oh, the and it's so beautiful to hear that, like, four humpback whales just outside their heads.
wow. It's, it's, and maybe even went into the pay. It's encouraging, isn't it? Yeah. 9.32, nearly 9.33. This is Radio Marinara. A couple, one super quick plug I want to get in. Um, this one was sent to us via our Facebook group, so thank you for that. Student Environmental Photography Competition. Now, it's actually open until September, so I'm going to mention this one again next week, but I did say I would mention it today. It's pretty exciting. Student Environmental Photography Competition. So this is inviting students from all over Australia um, to share through photography how environments uh, are compared and beautiful and tell stories that inspire all of us to lead a more sustainable life. There are four different categories. Uh, there's water everywhere, cities of life, wild places and wildlife con- conservation. So the entries close September 15th. Um, entry is free. They've got some prizes. Very exciting stuff. We will put a link to that on our Facebook page as well. And um, yes, forward, pl- forward apologies for the number of Facebook links we're going to be putting in there this afternoon. But thanks for sending that one through. You're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR. Our last week on our 1000th show we played back an interview from about 17 years ago with doctors Sylvia Earle, David Suzuki and David Bellamy about the critical importance of having legislated marine protected areas. At the time of interview in 2002 scientific research into the benefits and efficacy of marine protected areas was at its early stages but already clearly pointing towards benefits that extended beyond the boundaries of the areas that had been protected from human impacts. And while research has certainly kicked on since then, an exciting new study has just been published in the Ecological Society of American journal Frontiers in Ecology and the Environment. It suggests that the benefits of marine protected areas, whilst now accepted, are actually being underestimated. To tell us all about this new development and what it means for marine conservation, we're absolutely thrilled to welcome lead author from Monash University, Dr Dustin Marshall. Good morning, Dustin. Morning, Brian. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. We go way back. Let's be upfront. In 23 years. (laughs) And we haven't seen each other in 20 well, it's about time. Yeah. And actually, interestingly, so when we last caught up 20 years ago, I was just leaving um, university life and, and you were well and truly in it. And it was only a couple of years after that. In fact, during this time, the debate to establish marine protected areas in Victoria had, had been raging, was really starting to escalate. Mm-hmm. I, I had no idea at the time that that was going on. Yeah, they kind of slipped it under the radar there. Yeah, and then it all ramped up. So congratulations. It's um, really exciting stuff, this paper. And um, as I mentioned, research into marine protected areas, it really has kicked on in the last 17 years. Yeah, so, I, you know, one of the things that uh, quickly emerged was that MPAs make fish bigger and more abundant inside those, uh, those areas. So once you shut down fishing, the fish get big um, and there's more of them. The thing that's still intensely debated is how much that spills over into other areas. And then this is what your paper has been looking to do? Yeah, so last year we published a paper in Science showing that big fish mums are much more uh, productive than small fish mums. So you don't get the same production uh, if you divide a population into little babies, uh, little mums versus big ones. So you can get a lot more babies produced if you let the individual get big. That hadn't spilled over into thinking about MPAs when we use models to decide whether MPAs are valuable to fisheries, we've been using really sort of old-fashioned assumptions that uh, the rate of production was proportionate to fish size. So we were updating that. There was a really nice, uh, in the the paper that you've just published that that, um, we've been talking about, you really simply state that by saying if you've got two fish, two fish mums, each of one kilogram, and you compare that to the reproductive output of one mum who's two kilograms, the two kilogram mum makes much more than the two one kilogram mums together. And that's, yeah, that kind of brings it home that like, you know, the bigger you are, it's not just directly proportional to your weight, but it's a different relationship. Yeah, so 
one of the tricky things is we're bad at thinking about things non-linearly. We yeah. t- we tend to just extrapolate linearly, and th- that can lead to to bad accounting um, if you if you do that when nature doesn't match that kind of assumption. Do we know why larger female fish are better at producing more babies? Is it that they just have more eggs or is it the eggs are better quality so that when they finally become fertilised and released as larvae that they have a better chance of survival? So they definitely produce many more babies. We don't know why. That's actually the purpose of our whole research centre to try and work out why bigger um, mums are more somehow efficient at making more babies. They might eat more food or they might actually just be more efficient as they convert that food into to production. But they make m- more babies and they make them slightly larger. Whether or not they're better quality is actually really controversial because one of the downsides of being born from a big mum is that you've got lots and lots of siblings competing with you. So it might be that mum's just compensating you by making making you a little bit bigger to cope with all these extra brothers and sisters you have. Now, this actually has a scientific term, hyperallometry. Mm-hmm. Is that right? What does that mean when we break it down? So a straight line is isometry. It's same across its whole domain. Allometry means it changes across the different values you're measuring. Hyperallometry means it tilts upwards. The most extreme example of that is kind of exponential growth if you think about it that way so basically it's just a line with a bend in it that tilts upward okay and why is it significant in the context of marine protection so fisheries scientists have used a simplifying assumption of that uh, they'll use a straight line and that's because when they invented these models they were doing it all by hand Mm. the guys who did it said don't use that um, in the future but uh, use that for now. One of the things we did was just keep that assumption in there for ages. What it means is that you systematically underestimate the benefits of big mums. And that's the purpose of this paper. Mm-hmm. Can you talk us through your study? How did you approach it as, um, as a, a meta-analysis? Yeah, so we, we worked out for the species that we had good data on what MPAs do. So we know that on average they make them about 25% longer, which doesn't sound like much, but it means that they're about double the weight, uh, the fish inside MPAs. So what we did was for the species we could get data for, we took the differences in size, the differences in abundance, and we multiplied all that through, but with the right assumptions in there now, where bigger mums are actually more valuable. And so that 25% difference in length, which seems like nothing, translates to about a three-fold difference in reproductive output per mum inside an MPA. And some examples of the fish that you've been looking at, like coral trout, I understand. Yeah, we did a deep dive into one species for which we had really good data on how much they move around and and things like that. And so for coral trout, um, what we worked out was one single uh, acre of MPA, if you use old language, um, is worth about 15 to 25 acres of unprotected area in terms of the production of babies. And so... What that means is when you play all the numbers out, by having a system of MPAs, just to try and optimise your catch, try and get as much catch as you can. So just thinking about it from a fishing perspective, if you have MPAs, you get about 12% more catch than if you don't. And is it, you just mentioned then from a fishing perspective, is this finally like the, the worth, the, the high value of MPAs, is this message starting to get across to the fishers, do you think? Well, it's really tricky. So when you talk to, to uh, fishery, fisheries managers, if you call them spatio-temporal closures... <laughs> <laughs> they go to sleep? No, no, they love no. it. They, they get excited. Yeah. yeah. Because we know now that when, when things like the cod fishery collapsed, yeah. they had to shut it. 
in the um, North Sea. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they were able to bring it back by shutting it down. Um, so they're open-minded to that. They're less open-minded to calling them marine p- protected oh, areas. Oh, fascinating. Spa- so spatio-temporary closures. It's more palatable. And is there some psychology in that, in that they think potentially there's an opportunity to reopen them again? Exactly. Right. Like uh, nothing's forever. Uh-huh. Whereas if you just lock something up. Yeah. Um, and actually there's some research emerging that that actually might be more valuable, rotating through. Oh, it's just about, yeah, yeah, different... Patches, so MPA for ten years, then move it to an adjacent area, sort of like fallowing your fields. Exactly. But, but there have been research. There has been research into this area, in particular. I remember when we were both at uni, Dustin. There was uh, there was a, a guy there doing a PhD exactly on this subject in the Solomon Islands, and actually looking at Simon Fole was mm-hmm. his name. Do you remember Simon? Yeah. Yeah. And this is exactly what he was doing: was actually looking at these sustainable fishing management practices in the Solomon Islands with people who had been managing these fisheries for literally centuries doing exactly this yeah no so i I think um there's lots more opportunity for exploring what the best configuration is um i think yeah we're just going to have to sort of disarm this debate about whether you absolutely need mpas for fishing or whether you just need to to lock things up because it's still remarkably contentious now your work's focused on fish uh there are other species of animals where i've been calling it hyper it's hyper i'll have to rejig my brain there applies and might potentially play an important role in assessing the impact of legislated protection to future populations that's a really long question can this apply to other animals as well that's what we're doing right now so we collected all the data for all the fish we could find and that was the first paper the next study is for all the organisms we can find and we're about we're at seventy thousand data points at this point and we're going to publish the paper eventually um but yeah it seems like hyperolometry is more common than not which means that if you if you do close an area you're getting all these benefits not just for the fish but also the lobster the abalone all those sorts of things as well Fantastic. Uh, I was going to ask you where to, from here with your research, I think you've just answered that question. So there's another paper in the making? So right now we're looking at what the benefits of MPAs and things called harvest slots, where you stop catching the biggest fish, how that affects yield. So again, just from very cold-blooded, how do you maximise yield for fishing fleets? Um, If you use spatial temporal closures, do you get more yield under these new assumptions? So we're doing that now. And then how do we break into the recreational sector? And that's a whole other discussion. Given more than 50% of the fish caught in Victoria are recreationally caught, I think, yeah, that's a big challenge. Will you come back? Sure. Can we continue with this? Absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us today. No worries. Can't wait to hear more. Okay. Dr Dustin Marshall there from Monash University. Subscribe to continue indeed. There's a big rev up in the next couple of weeks leading up to that. Uh, before those announcements, we finally heard Jethro Tull's slipstream, Dr Beach from Aqualung. I know, I've just been telling Bron how much I've been enjoying a British <laughs> 70s folk rock of couple of, for the last couple of weeks. We've been wanting to play that track for probably two months and we keep running out of time at the end of the show, so we finally got it in. Yeah, a lot of Jethro Tull, Fairport Convention, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> you know the deal, living in the past. Now this week kicks off National Science Week. It runs from next Saturday, the 10th of August through to the 18th and Museums Victoria are gearing up for an exciting week of exploration and discovery. Dr Robin Wilson is a Senior Curator of Marine Invertebrates at Museum Victoria and he's going to be speaking as part of the Living Wonders Morning Science Seminars on August 15th. Robin joins us now to talk about National Science Week at Museums Victoria and some of the great wet and salty activities you're not going to want to miss. Good morning Robin. Hi Bron. Hi Dr Beach. How are you? Well thanks. Pretty How are good. you? 
Uh, congratulations on a thousand shows. Oh, thank fabulous, you. fabulous. <laughs> Great to be here for a thousand and one. Yes. <laughs> trying to work out. Yeah, you're, part, you're, you're at the dawn of the next millennium. Mm. Yes. Mm. We're trying to work out where the time's all gone. Yeah. So, National Science Week, um, uh, is this a bit like Christmas for you guys at the it museum? Is. And to get the opening gig is terrific. It uh, moves around every year. So, to have it at the museum is a wonderful thing. Ah. Mm. So, when you say, oh, of course, because it, it. So, this is uh, the National opening public launches at the museum on Friday night and there's three gun speakers from one from NASA one from Macquarie Uni a scientist and Di Bray our very own fish biologist at the museum so it's I'm looking forward to that so what's happening uh, science at the extreme I believe it's called and uh, talk talk yes. us through it what's going to happen on Friday Yes, there's um, uh, Dr. Darlene Lim and NASA geobiologist who's now moving into I believe uh, astronaut um, uh, the the adaptations required for for astronauts to uh, work in space. Uh, in space. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Dr. Kate Selway from Macquarie Uni. She's just uh, uh, starting there on a um, on a postdoc. Uh, she's working on tectonic uh, systems. And Di Bray is going to talk about Fishes of Australia and uh, Red Map, a great citizen science program. What an exciting and really diverse group of speakers yeah. for opening night. It's terrific. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And Before I forget, um, just so your listeners know, uh, we've got another giveaway to add to your uh, collection. We do. We'll give this. We'll get people to ring up in a couple of minutes' time, not just yet, but <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. nudie branks and related mollusks by Robert Byrne. Um, yeah, I've just been flicking through this, Robin. It's, it's a beautiful book. I see you're a it's series editor. Series. And I love that the first picture is um, a very beautiful nudibranch photograph by Mark Norman. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. Yes. Don't ring now. There is no one to no, take your call. Yet, so yet, wait till we, we, um, we close um, for the, for today's program. Mm-hmm. But I uh, just wanted to give a real plug. So this is this event on Friday, um, Science at the Extreme, and mm-hmm. all three speakers, wonderful, but Di Bray in particular, who's been on this program several times mm-hmm. um, and talking about um, natural history and the importance of it in a scientific context as well. Yes. So that's for all ages, a public event, Robin. Can anyone go? Uh, Yes, it's a ticketed event. You have to uh, buy a ticket, but it's uh, reasonably priced. And uh, if you uh, search it out on the Museum Victoria website, your Museums Victoria website, museums.com.au, you'll find it uh, at the top of the list, I think. Fantastic. Another link for our Facebook page this week, Dr Beach. I think I'm up to six. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just just looking at... So this starts on next Friday, Friday, August 9, is the is the launch that's right yes. and running all week you've got um events happening both at uh melbourne museum but also at science works yes right? all over the place yeah so i am the other at melbourne museum the uh, event that uh, brackets the other end of science week is our collections online so the whole team is going to be populating the museum's mezzanine floor with with uh, their tri- their own chosen treasures from the collection to talk to the public who it's a fab, fabulous event. We all look forward to that every year so, because it draws in huge numbers of people. So, so the bottom line to this is from starting next Friday, August the 9th, get to the museum, spend the mm. whole week at the museum, take your sleeping bags, stay there, <laughs> absorb all these wonderful events. Pretty much, yes. Um, yeah. you've, there's all sorts of stuff on the weekend. Uh, in fact, there's lots of stuff happening on the weekend because, of course, we realise people are going to be working during the week. So lots of stuff next weekend. Um, uh, great microbe hunt on Saturday 11th and Sunday. 18th of August where people going along can be part of a science experiment. I guess you, do you get to spit into a test tube or something, yes, Robin? Yes, all the, <laughs> we've all done that already. The staff have already been part of that research program. So. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, people can actually bring in an object 
to have identified by a scientist. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Uh, well, people can do that all the time, actually. There's a desk at the front near the front door where people can can and often do bring in things for us to identify. So, yeah, feel free to do that, at it, not just in Science Week, but any time. Great. Um, but for next weekend, Saturday and Sunday, from 10 till 3, um, the, mm. this particular um, yep. activity is called Curious Show and Tell. And you can you might have a question. You might not have something in particular that you want to bring in. Uh, Apollo 11, the IMAX experience next Saturday as well. That looks pretty pretty cool. I have a teenager who I reckon I might be into that one. Yeah. Oh, God, I want to go to that. I want to see that movie. Yeah, very timely too, hey? Now let's, yeah. let's spend a couple of minutes talking about the Morning Science Seminar. So sure. that's Thursday the 15th of August. So not mm-hmm. this coming Thursday, but the following one. Yep. And we'll mention this on next week's program. And your um, special guest speaker is part of that, Robin. Yes, I'm going to talk about uh, how science has changed our way of seeing the deep sea and the diversity in the deep sea since we've we as humans have explored the deep sea, which has only occurred in the last 150 years. And uh, Joe Sumner, one of our molecular biologists, and is going to talk about work on dragon lizards, the hidden diversity in them. I wondered about that because um, the, the um, text I read was talking about diversity of dragons and I was wondering if it yes. was talking about weedy sea dragons. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I, I didn't know they were that diverse. No, 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 Not on a species nor, level anyway. Nor does it refer to Lord of the Rings style dragons. <laughs> That's right. Or Khaleesi's dragons. Yes. And your third speaker? Um, uh, Karen Rowe is... Uh, well, actually, there are others as well. There's, an, there's uh, two others I need to talk about. Karen Rowe is going to talk about uh, uh, her work with bird acoustics, which is a new way of... Uh, powerful way of understanding bird diversity and dynamics. And uh, citizen scientists who work on moss are doing fabulous work all over the state. They're going to talk about their work in the Otways and how moths and tell us about what moths tell us about environmental change. You've got a very busy week coming up. It is very busy <laughs> and it's exciting. Uh, yeah, Fantastic. very exciting. I want to get there. Mm. Thanks so much for telling us all about it this morning. Pleasure. And uh, that website that you can hook into is museumsvictoria, all one word, dot com dot au, and we'll, we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.